Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-mid year session number 556. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an awesome guest who struggled with the MCAT and delayed her application to medical school. But after finally figuring out how to succeed, she applied and found success. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it gives you some motivation that, yes, you can overcome this crazy test called the MCAT or whatever else you are struggling with as a pre-med student. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know? Like our student today, if you're struggling with the MCAT, Blueprint MCAT is there to help you, whether it's through with with tutoring or their live online course or their self-paced course or their free account where you get access to a half-length diagnostic, a free full-length exam, and their amazing study planner tool as well as other great resources. Go over to Blueprint MCAT today, sign up for that free account, start using that study planner tool. That's where I recommend everyone start with their MCAT prep journey because without a great plan, you may get lost on your way to getting the MCAT score you need. I hope you enjoy our episode today. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Blueprint MCAT at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump in. Say hello to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? So I'm one of those pre-meds who, well, not medical students, who realized pretty early on, I was about nine years old. Um, It started with my best friend, my childhood best friend. Um, Her brother had brain cancer, and I watched the progression of that over the course of most of my childhood. And then um, I grew up in France. So my family moved to America when I was nine. And shortly after we moved to America, he passed away. Mm. And so it was really hard for me to process having been there for so much of his journey through cancer and then not being there towards the very end. Mm. But then it also became much more personal a couple years later when I was found to have a tumor on my thyroid. Mm. And so... My mother had thyroid cancer when she was 13. I had a tumor that ended up being benign, but it was on my thyroid when I was 15. So they took the whole thing out. Wow. Okay. So you you have this experience of cancer in a friend's sibling. 
and then potential cancer scare with you, uh, thankfully benign. And so there are a lot of people who go through this process and uh, healthcare scares and stuff like that. Um, and and don't come out on the other end going, okay, I'm going to be a doctor now. What do you what do you think it was about that process that for you just like potentially changed the trajectory of your life? I think it was a real dichotomy of seeing the good and the bad. So I obviously the typical pre med answer. I wanted to help people um, when I wasn't able to help my childhood best friend. When her brother passed away, I was like, I want to be able to prevent that kind of feeling in future patients. And then also just having so many doctors over the years, because um, I've now been on thyroid medication every day of my life for the last 11 years. So I've seen numerous doctors, had numerous blood tests, numerous prescriptions, mm -hmm. and kind of seeing doctors that are incredible and I want to emulate, but also other doctors where I'm like, this specific marginalized population could be treated better. Yeah. Um, when you think about your, your pre-med journey, right? You, you have your, your thyroid taken out at 15, you head off to university and are, are you declaring from day one, I I'm a pre-med student. I'm going to be a doctor. Were you still feeling things out? No, I was, from eighth grade on, I was declared <laughs> it wasn't changing. Um, had a couple of doubts around organic chemistry, but never changed. <laughs> it's always organic chemistry. Um, what yeah. what was it about organic chemistry? Just not not feeling uh, not feeling the subject. It was. I did well the very first term. I got an A in organic chemistry one, and then the second term, I had piled it on with a bunch of other difficult classes. <laughs> So it just ended up being the worst semester of my college experience. Oh. So that's probably why. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, lots lots of bad classes going on around uh, mm -hmm. organic chem too. Uh, do you think that was the hardest part about being a pre-med was, was that particular semester? Were there, were there, are there kind of low points of being a pre-med student? I think for me, the hardest part of being a pre-med was definitely the MCAT. Mm. Okay. Because I ended up taking it three times. Um, so I took it my senior year of college. I had already planned to take a gap year. Okay. It was only supposed to be one. Um, and I took it, didn't do as many practice tests as I should have, really struggled. Just I should have pushed it back and I didn't. And I wasn't performing where I wanted on the few practice tests I took. Took it, didn't end up doing great and I knew that I could do better. Mm -hmm. um, I made the fatal mistake that many pre-meds unfortunately make of rushing to reschedule immediately. Yep. Um, took it again about a month and a half later, improved by a few points, okay. but not enough to where I really wanted to be. Okay. Um, so about a year and a half later during COVID, I took it a third time, paid for a tutor, did everything with Blueprint, um, next step. And that was wonderful. And that got me to my goal of my score and got me in. What do you think it was about having a tutor that helped you approach the MCAT differently to get the score that you wanted? I think it was honestly the accountability. Mm. 
it wasn't that I wasn't motivated to do well. It's that I have so much imposter syndrome and trouble believing in myself. Mm-hmm. And that was especially prevalent with the MCAT because I'd had that history of not doing well. Yeah. And so it would be easy to just be like, well, I don't want to study for it because I'm not good at it. So why would you want to do something you're not good at? Mm-hmm. But having a tutor really helped me accountable and made sure that I got certain assignments done on time and kept me to do a lot more practice tests as well. Yeah, more practice tests, more questions. That's that's the goal. So you you kind of got through the pre-med process. It sounds like relatively unscathed. Were you concerned about GPA to do post-bac, master's level work, or were you not concerned about your GPA? I wasn't concerned about GPA. Um, I was very fortunate in high school that I was able to actually complete an associate's degree in high school. Oh, nice. And so all of that was transferred over from my college credits, and I had done really well in all of those classes. So that kind of helped buffer my GPA. Um, I also added a French minor, which being fluent definitely helped buffer my GPA. So I wasn't too worried about my GPA when it came to applying. That's good. That's good. Okay. So MCAT was really the big hang up. When you took the MCAT for the first time, were you already in the application cycle kind of going down that path and you get your score back and you're like, "Uh oh, <laughs> um, abort, abort. Or, or were you waiting for that MCAT score to decide whether or not you were going to apply? I was waiting for it. I okay. took it the first time in January. So I got the score back in February and just rushed to retake it, took it in April, got it back in May and just said, we're going to go with it. It's fine. Um, and so then I continued through that application cycle with that score and kind of like halfway through that cycle, didn't receive any interviews, realized it was probably time to take it again. Okay. When it you finally got your score back and you were confident in applying how did you go about kind of formulating your application and thinking about the story that you were going to tell and, and how you wanted to approach uh, 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 your personal statement, your essays, all that fun stuff? So I was actually really fortunate to be able to do an episode of application renovation with you. And so I did that and you completely tore me apart on my personal statement. <laughs> I had every right to do. Um you said everything was pretty okay, even mm-hmm. before I received my latest MCAT score. Um, but it was really just my personal statement. Mm-hmm. So I enrolled in your application academy. Turned out to be a wonderful investment. And that helped me kind of structure my personal statement in a much more personal way because I had made it much more of a resume. Mm. And I used your books. I I subscribed all the way to the Dr. Gray method. <laughs> the Dr. Gray method. Um, okay, so Application Academy student, um, uh, you kind of subscribe to that story. Were you hesitant? Because a lot of times, one of the the struggles I think that students have is being authentic in in who they are and what their story is. Did you have any concerns about your authenticity? Or not not necessarily no. your authenticity, but being authentic in your application. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I am actually a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. And I knew right away that that was something I was going to be very vocal about. Um, if a school didn't want me because of my queer identity, then I didn't really want to go to them. They went to school for me. Mm-hmm. So I was very open and honest in my application. I really, my MCAT scores and my MCAT history did not come up much in interviews or anything. Um, But I felt like I had a pretty unique story to share, having grown up in Europe and then being a queer medical school applicant. So I really leaned on that story matters. Yeah. How does that show up? Because someone listening to this may think every other sentence of your personal statement is, oh, by the way, I'm queer. Oh, by the way, I'm queer. How how does that actually show up in your application? Mm -hmm. So it showed up because I was very involved in my college's LGBTQ club. Um, I was treasurer for a year and then I was president for two years. So that was definitely very present and apparent that that was part of my identity and part of who I was. Um, And then I made about a paragraph of my personal statement about having seen another patient in the ER when I was a scribe who was severely depressed because she was being persecuted and bullied at school because she was LGBTQ. Mm. So I kind of made it about how we need to improve treatment and overall disparities in treating all minority populations, but especially for me, um, LGBTQ population. Yeah. Did that come up in interviews? It actually did not, no. Okay. Yeah. I did have one school that asked if you identify as mm-hmm. queer um, and if you want to disclose it in your secondary application, you can. Yep. Um, and I really did appreciate that, that they were like, that is an important thing. We want to make sure we have that diversity in our school. And that's actually not the school that I attend. Yeah, awesome. When you um, submitted your application and, and you're, you're wondering, are, are they going to accept me? How, how did you deal with that? Uh, one of the things that students really struggle with right now, especially as we're recording this, it's, it's beginning in November, there's, there's lots of waiting and just uh, patience that are needed to get through this process. How did you deal with the waiting game of, of applying to med school? I definitely remember it being one of the worst parts of the application process. First of all, anyone who's not in medicine doesn't understand that you apply in May, but you don't really know where you're going until April, maybe. Yeah. And so trying to explain that to my family and to my friends that I didn't know yet and they wanted an answer, but I didn't even have an answer. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the first time I applied and I got no interviews it felt like every Sunday was just dreading the start of another week where I felt like I was going to get no interviews. And then every Friday was being really sad and upset that I didn't get any interviews. So it was definitely a struggle. Um, I managed to get through it better my second time applying because my husband and I had actually moved into his grandmother's house um, because my husband's grandfather had passed away. Um, and they were married for 57 years. And oh. so we knew she was going to have a hard time adjusting to being a widow. Of course. Yeah. Um, so we moved in with her and kept her really busy, watched a lot of movies, laughed, 
part of the beach. It was great. Um, <laughs> hey, Grandma, how are you at editing essays? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she was a good cheerleader, but she also kept me pretty well distracted while waiting for the application cycle. Yeah, that's good. You had a you had someone to keep you busy. Um, mm-hmm. When when you think back to your first application cycle, right? You came on application renovation. Did you get any feedback from schools? I did not. I did reach out to some schools okay. to try and see if they would um, review things with me. I guess actually I did get feedback from one school. Okay. Um, and they kind of just gave a very generic answer of like, well, it's competitive cycle. There's so many incredible <laughs> yep. applicants. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, this doesn't really help. So. Yeah, that's just a templated response. <laughs> It's not yeah. us, it's you. That's that's the response. Uh, okay, so uh, you came on application renovation, got some feedback, joined Application Academy, um, learned how to better tell your story. How do you think telling your story better in your personal statement translated into interviewing better? Do you think that helped at all? Mm-hmm. So I think what's interesting is that I'm a non-traditional student. Mm-hmm. And so I have a fair amount of world experience outside of college. I meant to only take one gap year, ended up taking three. Um, And I have received four interviews when I applied the second time. Two of them were MMI and two of them were traditional. Nice. And I thought surely because of my more non-traditional background and just because I did well on, um, what is it called? Casper. Casper, yep. Um, because I did well on that test, I was like, I'll rock the MMIs. <laughs> I will worry about the traditionals. And then I ended up not getting accepted to the MMI schools and getting accepted to both traditional schools. Interesting. Now, whether that's because the two traditional schools were DO and the two MMI were MD, so it was more a matter of MD versus DO, hmm. or whether it was a matter of MMI versus traditional, I don't know. Okay. Um, but I definitely think that learning how to tell my story through my personal statement probably helped more than I realized with those traditional interviews. Okay. Awesome. Um, four interviews, second application cycle, how many interviews, first application cycle? Zero. Zero. And big difference, obviously you said your MCAT score improves. So that's, that's obviously a, Mm -hmm. a big difference. And then. Uh, well, let's take credit for for better storytelling and, and personal statement and stuff. We'll we'll definitely take that credit. Um, what was it like to to get that first acceptance? It was surreal. It was the best up until that point. Um, the best day, aside from getting married, it was the best day of life, <laughs> and. I found out while my grandmother-in-law was at an eye doctor's appointment and I had been taking her to the eye doctor's appointment. Hmm. I got the phone call and I was like, well, the first person I want to tell is my husband because he has been with me since high school, saw me through organic chemistry, saw me through all the MCATs. I wanted to tell him first. So she came out of her eye doctor's appointment and I was like, I have a secret. You're not going to (laughs) know. And then my husband came home And my husband, I went over to him and I was like, hey, I'm going to be a doctor. And that was something we often said just to like hype myself up. And he was like, yeah. 
Yeah. And I was like, no, really, babe, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> um, so yeah, just kind of, it hit him and he was like, oh my goodness. And then from there, it was just trying to decide between multiple schools. Yeah. But getting that first acceptance with everything. Yeah. How did, how did you decide? Multiple acceptances, how do you boil down to one school? Honestly, it came down to location and finances. Okay. Um, they were both DO schools. They were both great schools with reputations that are phenomenal. Um, but when we looked at housing in the school that I'm in now in Philadelphia, um, housing was just a lot better than the other city that we were possibly going to be moving to. And then the school I did not choose to attend had about $100,000 more of debtedness okay. um, out of their average medical student graduate. Yeah. And it's already so expensive to go to medical school. And I hate saying that it came down to money, but that's just unfortunately part of the reality. Yeah. No, it's it's def it's the reality for a lot of students. So um, mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad you you brought that up because there there's uh, a huge difference in medical school tuition, whether it's private versus public. A lot of DO schools are a lot more expensive um, for one mm -hmm. reason or another, mo mostly because they're private, uh, and it's yeah it's it's hard. So multiple acceptance though you get you get to choose, which is great. Uh, looking back. I, I don't want to say you made a mistake, but but do you have any regrets with the school that you chose? I do not have regrets about the school that I chose to attend. Okay. I think it is a wonderful school with wonderful reputation. I've met the most amazing and awe-inspiring professors. Um, the opportunities that Philadelphia has are countless. There's so many different medical schools, so many hospitals, it's in a great location. Um, when it came to taking my leave of absence last year, there were few moments where I feel like it could have gone better. Okay. And I feel like that's probably true for many students who choose to take a leave of absence because it's not the traditional, they want to get their students out in four years. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, no, I haven't got any regrets. Okay. When I, I want to talk about your leave of absence as, as much as uh, you're willing to talk about it, I, I want to go back to the MDDO conversation. How did you choose the schools that you applied to and, and why MD and DO? So I, my first application, I was very heavy on MD and like less so on DO. And then my second, because I still kind of had that ridiculous notion that MD was superior. And then my second application cycle, I finally got my head straight. And I was like, no, they're the same thing. And they do the same, like they literally do everything the same, except DOs have a little more training. And so I applied more equally to MD and DO. And really the school selection came down to if it was in a city where I would feel safe and my trans husband would feel safe because that was just the reality, especially lately with all of the politics of America. Um, I wanted to make sure that I knew we wouldn't face as much discrimination as we could possibly in other locations. Um, and I also wanted a very urban location. Um, I foresee myself 
working in an urban city once I'm done with residency and fellowship. So that was kind of the focus. Okay. So let's go back to, uh, you talked about your leave of absence. Um, again, you, you mentioned, right, not super traditional for students to, to take leaves of absence. It happens whether it's mental health, physical health, uh, pregnancy, life, what, whatever happens. Um, at what point in the process in, in your, your first year did you realize I need to take a break? So I took my break in January. Um, I started medical school pretty well. And then around September, October, I started vomiting blood about two or three times a week. Mm. Um, not huge amounts, not enough to go to the ER, but just like blood tinged enough. So I... Obviously, that impacted my ability to study and to sleep and to feel comfortable and healthy enough to medical school is difficult when you're perfectly healthy. It's even more <laughs> difficult when you're sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I. That kind of impacted my grades. Yeah. I didn't reach out and get the help that I needed when I should have. Um I now have accommodations this second time around, which are hugely helpful because I still have some chronic health issues. Um, but I just didn't tell anyone that I was that sick. And why I didn't. What, what were you what were you scared of? I gaslight myself a lot when it comes to my health mm. because I have many chronic health conditions. And that's part of my story. But. I'm always like, there's people who are sicker. There's people who have it worse in the hospital. Like, I'm really not. Like, Suck it up. I'm You're fine. fine. Like, yeah. 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 Um, so I just, I told some friends about it, but I didn't tell any professors. I didn't tell any administration at the school. Um, and to be perfectly frank, I ended up failing one of my classes the first term. Yeah. And so I remediated successfully, passed that remediation exam. And then... So went on to term two, um, which at my school starts with musculoskeletal anatomy. And I was just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so I, again, did not perform well in that class. And my school kind of told me, hey, you need to take a break to take care of your health and come back when you can do well in classes and show your true potential, because I knew that I could do much better. Um, so it wasn't really my choice to take a leave of absence. It was more kind of school mandated, um, but it ended up being for the best thing. Okay. And then in terms of the actual like process, do you just go knock on like student affairs dean door and go like, hey, I need, I need to peace out for a little bit. Like what was that process like? So they sent me a letter and I had to write an essay explaining why I wasn't performing well. And I mentioned that I was getting sick and I was throwing up every like two to three times a week. This was um, part of your like remediation process? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I met with a committee at my school that kind of assesses student performance and 
evaluates if you're con- allowed to continue on in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, yeah, with, if like your, your health is not going to suddenly get better. Yeah. Clearly something is going on that is deeper than like just a occasional flu or cold. Um, so it's better just to stop now and then come back in a few months when maybe it's better than. Okay. When you came back, what sort of stipulations did you have? Or is it like a probationary period? Like what, or, or is it just welcomed with open arms? Um, really, the only condition is that I cannot fail another course. Okay. Um, and if I do, then who knows what happens with the future of my medical career. Yeah. So that's definitely stress inducing. Let's that's let's not worry about that. Very scary <laughs> and stressful. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're not gonna worry about that. I just did the <laughs> final for one of my classes last week and I did great. Great. So it's fine. All right. Um yeah. <laughs> but that's really the only stipulation. Otherwise okay. it's continue on, just Yeah. Don't fail another class. Which which is basically the stipulation for med school periods. Like just don't don't fail. Um yeah. so that's that's good. Um, when, when you look back at your journey, right, some, some ups and downs, multiple application cycles, a leave of absence during medical school, what could you have done differently to, I don't know, maybe be more successful first application cycle, Mm -hmm. um, or have taken better care of yourself through, through the first part of your medical school where maybe you wouldn't have needed to take a leave of absence? If, if, if that was even possible. I think, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to my application cycle, well, first of all, I could have done better on my first time for the MCAT if I had taken it more seriously, okay. which sounds so silly because, of course, <laughs> you're going to take it seriously. Yep. It's like the most important test of your life. But I just kind of thought I've always done well in school. I do well in college. I don't really need to study too much in college. Like, it'll be fine. And then you realize that the MCAT is not at all about how smart you are. It's about how well you know how to take the MCAT. Yeah. So taking it more seriously, taking more practice tests, postponing my test date when I didn't feel comfortable with where I was performing close to my test date would have led to a better first MCAT and then not having to take it two more times. And then as far as my first application cycle, maybe I just didn't get quite enough feedback on my personal statement. Um, The feedback you gave me at the time of application renovation was that my MCAT score at that time before my last score should have been good enough to get me into a DO school. And I have several classmates who have similar scores to what that was. So I don't think it was the MCAT holding me back. I think it was truly the personal statement. And so maybe getting more feedback, more eyes on it, not feeling, really it's what you say, it's show, not tell. My first personal statement was very heavy on, this is a quality trait I have that will make me a good physician. Here's why I have it instead of this is a story showing that I have it. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And then as far as my first year of medical school, I think just being honest with my school about how I was feeling and getting help sooner and not just trying to power through being sick. 
Yeah. I don't know if anything could have really been done to prevent the leave of absence. Um, because I ended up having to, during my leave of absence, go through medical tests, several doctor's appointments, imaging. So I don't think it could have been prevented, but I should have been more upfront and honest with my school about how I was feeling. Yeah. And I think that's a good lesson because uh, that that students need to hear the far, far, far majority of schools out there want to keep you in school and they're going to very likely be willing to work with you through medical stuff for whatever you're going through. So don't hesitate to reach out to your school and, and ask for help as you go through this process. Um, Absolutely. Elizabeth, when you uh, think about other students that are following in your footsteps, whether they're part of the queer community or suffering with uh, medical conditions um, or just chronic self-doubt in this process, what final words of wisdom do you have for them? I think my final words of wisdom are to give yourself grace whether you are chronically ill and you just can't get the same amount of work done in a day as someone else because you're dealing with chronic fatigue or chronic pain, you have to just accept that that's unfortunately your reality. It's not your fault. It's not, you didn't cause it, but that's just how it is to be chronically ill. And so giving yourself grace to do the best you can and knowing that as long as you do the best you can at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Um, when it comes to LGBTQ pre-meds, really putting yourself first and not letting a school tell you that, like not, not feeling like you have to hide who you are and your identity just to get into medical school, because there will be schools that will support you and embrace you and accept all of your diversity. And that goes for any underrepresented minority. Um, so yeah, those are my words of wisdom. All right, so there you have it, Elizabeth conquering the MCAT. Hope you enjoyed our episode today. Give you a little bit of inspiration on your journey to to taking the MCAT at the end of the day. You got to take it. You got you have to do well enough on it to get into medical school, to give medical schools some reassurance that you're going to pass the boards because once you we we always joke my wife and I uh, who I met in med school if you don't know that story. Uh, we always joke that as a as a medical student, as a physician, you turn into a professional test taker. That's your job. So hopefully this was helpful for you. Hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next week here on the Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.